So we have a brand new member with us today, brand new. Mason and Amanda, about, about their newborn baby with us this morning. Stand up and let us see that little baby and tell us his name. Benjamin James. Okay. Well, congratulations. You know, I couldn't help but uh, look over there at little, little Benjamin as, as Amanda was holding him during the worship. And just think about what that baby is experiencing in the presence and the anointing of God. I would that every child would experience that. Our nation would be a much different place if that's how children were, were reared up. So, uh, congratulations, guys. It's good to have you. This young couple is going to be joining our church. They couldn't join, uh, be with us when we did our last membership for obvious reasons. So we will pick them up, and then uh, Gwen and Jeff are going to join with us as well. Gwen had a little pickleball accident. Is that, is that right? Now, Brother Doug, didn't you have a pickleball accident too? Didn't you hurt yourself playing pickleball? Okay, okay. I don't know what they're doing in pickleball. I've never played pickleball, but I didn't realize it was a contact sport. So uh, we're going to do a wrestling camp. That is a contact sport, and we probably won't get hurt as much as these folks playing pickleball. But... Anyway, we look forward to uh, Gwen being able to join us and then Jeff and Gwen being able to, to join the church. So this morning, um, I'm going to continue on with the series that we started. It's hard to believe it started this January 1st, a series that I titled In the Beginning. And, it, and the whole premise of this series was based on our, our, our nation's infatuation with its natural heritage. Things like Ancestry.com. Everybody wants to know where they came from. And, and there's benefit in it. I shared what those the opening message of this way back in January. But it is benefit in it to know something about our ancestors. It can help us make health decisions, social decisions. And it describes some of the benefits. But I, I challenged you and I said, if, if, if there's benefit in knowing our natural heritage, how much benefit is there in knowing our spiritual heritage? And so what we did, we started at the book of Genesis, and we've been working our way through that book. And if you've been following along, and I hope you've been reading, I always put out the scripture that I'm going to be covering. And so I hope you've been reading, and I will continue to do that as I pass to the church. But one thing I hope that you have picked up in this is that whether it was Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even in some ways Adam after the fall, God uses ordinary people to advance his purposes. And all of these men and women that you would have read about through Genesis as you've been reading, they were ordinary people just like you and I. They got up every day and put their pants on, which they didn't wear pants then, but they put their pants on one leg at a time just like you do. And at times they did incredible feats for God, and at times they were incredibly faithful to him and trusting in him. And then at other times they did incredible failures. But yet God still used them. But yet God never abandoned them. Because God has his purposes. And he uses people. He uses people to advance those purposes. And so I hope that you have learned that at least that much if we've gone through this series. But I'm going to finish it up. I'm going to finish it up today. I had thought about going on through with the, uh, with the life of Joseph, but I really feel led to stop it here. Throughout all the scriptures, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we've moved through each one of those 
names and looked at them and looked at what they had done for, the God, for God and how God had used them. And if you've been reading along, today we'll, you have read up through chapter 36 of the book of Genesis. And there's only 50 chapters, and starting in chapter 37, picks up with the life of Joseph. So I hope you'll read that. The life of Joseph is an incredible study. It's a very interesting study. It's 14 chapters, and you will have read in, through the entire book of Genesis. But I'm going I'm to finish this series today as we look, uh, finish up with the life, life of Jacob. I'm going to be out of town for a while. I'm going to be out of town for the next three weeks. No, y'all, I hadn't abandoned you, and you ain't run me off yet. These are some things that we had, some, some vacations that Tammy and I had planned. We're going to be out of town uh, for the fourth holiday. And then we had, when we found out last year that the conference was going to be down in Sarasota, Florida, we decided to build a vacation around that. Many of you know Tammy just retired from the Veterans Hospital. So we said, let's leave early and let's, let's hit a couple cities along in Florida on our way to the conference and on the way back. But, you know, we got great leaders and great pulpit ministers in our church. And so next Sunday, uh, Brother Michael Britt will be bringing the message. Uh, the Sunday after that will be Sister Antoinette Joyner. And then the following Sunday will be uh, Pastor David Smith. He'll be ministering to us. Pastor Don's been in and out a lot. He's getting stronger. If you've seen him, he looks better. And he had, an, uh, I think, a procedure, a bone infusion this week. And I think there's some pain associated with that, but he's getting stronger so I'm really looking forward to the day when he stands here and ministers to us again. And that day's coming. He sang for us last Sunday. So, but that day's coming. But, so be, I'll be out for a little while. But when I come back, I want to pick up with the, with the book of James. The book of James had been in my spirit a lot before the end of the year last year. And so for, uh, for those of you who, who read along, and I hope you will, Genesis was 50 chapters. James is five. James is five. But James is a, is, a, is a challenging, challenging book. Um, uh, Jack Hayford says this. He says that the book of James is a book of duty over doctrine. Doctrine's important. Doctrine is paramount. But what also is duty? What are we doing for the kingdom of God? What, are, what when we learn about the Lord and we come to the Lord... Does it motivate us to do something? And it should. And so we're going to look at many, many practical things. The book of James is a very practical book. So I hope you will read and begin to read and study the, the book of James. I'll pick up on that towards the end of uh, July. But this morning I'm going to conclude with Jacob. And the title of this message is Wrestling with God and Men. Wrestling with God and Men. I, I, I struggled because I thought about naming it from Bethel to Jabbok. From Bethel to Jabbok. But I landed with wrestling with God and men. And the, the, the text comes from Genesis 32 and 28. And this is God speaking to Jacob. He said, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that's already been here with us. God, for the anointing that was in the worship. That makes this so much easier for me. God, when I've just been in your presence for a few moments and soaked up that anointing. And now, Lord, I pray that for each person that's under the sound of my voice that they experience that. Lord, that that worship that your anointing prepared them to hear and receive and act on your holy word. So I pray, Lord, for your anointing to continue through the word and through the end of our service. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week we looked back, when we looked at Jacob last week, we looked at his encounter at Bethel. Now, the way Jacob had gotten to Bethel was that 
he had had to flee from his homeland. His, he had been, uh, Jacob had deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright, although Esau was willing to sell it in a moment of weakness. He had been deceived out of his blessing that his father wanted to give to him. And he had to flee because his mother Rebecca said, look, you got to get out of here, Jacob. Esau's going to kill you. So he runs and he ends up in this place called Bethel. And last week, the, the emphasis of the message is how life can just change in a moment. You can be on the mountaintop one minute and the valley the next. And that's where Jacob was. He was in the valley. But he met God there. And God revealed himself to him in a dream. And in that dream, God opened up the heavens and he saw a ladder. And the Bible says he saw angels ascending and descending down that ladder. But he said something to Jacob. He reconfirmed the covenant, the promises he had made to his grandfather, Abraham. And he told Jacob this. He said, I'm going to be with you, Jacob, and I'm going to keep you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to keep you. And that's a promise he made. And after that, Jacob got up, but he had to continue on to get away from his brother Esau to his uncle named Laban. He had to go into a foreign land to, a, to see his uncle named Laban. And I think what happens sometime to us today in the Western church is have an encounter with God, and God says, hey, I'm going to keep you. I've made these promises to your family. And he, re, and, he, uh, and he tells Jacob the same thing. Those things are going to be for you, Jacob. And if we're not careful what happened, Jacob would have stood up, and he would have said, okay, God, you've made these promises. When does it happen? Right now. Okay, God, give it to me right now. But it didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way. And many times, and we're going to take a look at the life of Jacob, it was many, many, many years of struggle in Jacob's life. If he thought that God was going to bless him right then, God, okay, it happens now. Okay, it happens next week or next month. God is always with us. He said he'd never leave us. He'd never forsake it. But that doesn't mean that sometimes life is not going to be complicated. And do you know that sometimes those complications come in the way of relationships? Relationships are difficult, aren't they? They're one of the most difficult things we do on this side of heaven. But God created us for relationship. When he created Adam, he said, it's not good that you be alone. So he created him a woman. When Jesus walked the earth, he was God himself. He could have accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish. But he drew, he, he drew 12 men to himself. Men of different backgrounds, men of different attitudes, men of different opinions. I've heard it said he had the don't tread on me crowd in Simon the Zealot. And he had those who were sympathetic to the government and was the all government crowd in Matthew the tax collector. But he took these two men and he brought them together. And he used those men to change the world. So God has called us to relationship. But there will be struggles in those relationships. And that's one of the things that God had said to Jacob. He said, you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. And so for the next couple minutes, I want to look at how Jacob struggled with man. Let's just look at a few of the struggles that Jacob had in his life in relationships. First, he struggled with his brother Esau. If you've been following along, you remember Jacob and Esau were twins. And they were fighting in the womb. They were already fighting. Anybody got siblings that fight or fought? Well, they were already fighting in the womb to the point that it made Rebecca seek God and say, what is happening with these boys in my womb? And God told Rebecca, he said, there's two nations in your womb. And there, will, there is going to be strife between those two nations. 
And the younger is going to serve the older. Or the older is going to serve the younger. There's going to be strife there. And it was. As I mentioned already, Jacob deceived Esau a couple times. To the point that Esau said, I'm going to kill him. Which made him have to run. There was a struggle and there was strife between him and his brother. There were struggles with his father Isaac. With his father Isaac. The Bible says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. There was favoritism there. Which, which prompted Jacob to go in and have to deceive to get the blessing of his father. Isaac wanted to give that blessing to Esau. And so there was a family full of strife, deception, stealing the blessings. There was strife with his father, Isaac. And then there were struggles with his father-in-law, Laban. As I mentioned, Jacob had to run, and he was going to his uncle's land, his mother's brother. Well, along the way, he saw a beautiful young lady named Rebecca, and he wanted to marry Rebecca. So he told Laban, that was his daughter, he said, I want to marry Rebecca. And he says, okay, work for me for seven years, and you can marry her. He says, okay. So he works for Laban for seven years. And he says, okay, I'm going to let you marry Rebecca. And the Bible says that Laban brought Rebekah to Jacob at night, at the night of their wedding. And it wasn't uncommon then for ladies to be veiled uh, at their wedding night. So Jacob lies with Rebekah because he wanted to marry her. But he gets up the next morning when the sun's up and the veil's gone, and there's Leah, her sister. And Jacob's like, what has happened here? And he goes to Laban, why did you trick me? Why did you deceive me? Sound familiar? And Jacob gives him a reason. But he says, but I tell you what I'll do, Jacob. Work for me for seven more years and I'll give you Leah. So he works for him for seven more years. Fourteen years he had to stay and work in his father's household to marry the woman that he wanted to marry. And then he was broke. So Laban said, I tell you what, you work for me and I'll give you cattle and all. And he, he intended to give him the, 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 the weak cattle. But God intervened, if you read the story, and God moved supernaturally. And although the cattle that Laban tried to give Jacob was the weak cattle, God made it the strong cattle. Twenty years later, twenty years after this incident at Bethel, where he said, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to keep you. There's been strife and grinding 20 years. And Jacob is ready to go back to the promised land. And Jacob says this in Genesis 31 and 42. This is what he says to Laban, his father-in-law. He says, Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Because Laban had become angry with Jacob. He didn't like the fact that Jacob was going to take all the, his wives and his daughters and go back to a land. But God had spoke to Jacob, and, I mean to, to Laban, and he said, listen, don't you speak ill of Jacob. And he did what he said he was going to do. He kept Jacob. So he struggled. He struggled with his father-in-law. He struggled with his wives. 
He had two wives, two concubines, and 12 kids. I have one wife and two kids. I know what that struggle's been like. I can't imagine having that many, two wives, two concubines, and 12 kids. That's a struggle. But there was strife in them because at times some of those wives would be barren and they would want to have children. So they would give the concubine, which was common in that time to Jacob to, or the maidservant, so she could have children there. And they were always jockeying and fighting and struggling for who would be the next person that could have a child with Jacob. And I gave a handout to you today. If you haven't, if you didn't get one, I'll make sure you get one when the service is over if you'd like one. And I thought I would share this with you. Since the whole premise of this has been our family history, I wanted you to have a copy of your family, of your spiritual tree. Your spiritual family tree. And I didn't even charge you anything for it. So you'd have to go to Ancestry.com and pay for it. I didn't charge you for this. You get it for free. But you see there Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, his two sons, Esau and Jacob. And then under Jacob, you see Leah, you see Rachel, you see Belah, and you see Zilpah. Belah and Zilpah were maidservants. And you see the children, the 12 children. That's referred to as the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. And the rest of the Old Testament centers around these 12 tribes, the kingdom they would come, the times that they would trust God and he would bless them, and the times they would turn their back on God and he would curse them. And they would go into captivity. So this is a good piece of paper to keep in your Bible. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. But he struggled with his family. And it was all these struggles. I think it was all these struggles with people that led him to the wrestling match that he would have with God. Which I'll spend some time on in just a moment. But before I get there, there's three lessons I think we can learn. Three lessons I think we can learn from the life of Jacob and his struggle with people. First, and this is the, the way the world coins this. What goes around comes around. Have you ever heard that? What goes around comes around. The deceiver had become deceived. Jacob's name meant deceiver. And he lived up to that name. He had been deceiving people his whole life. But when he met Laban, he met his match. And the deceiver became deceived. But in Luke 6.31, Jesus says this about how we should treat people. And just as you want men to do to you, you do also do to them likewise. Commonly referred to as the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. If you deceive people, you're likely to be deceived. If you want to be, receive kindness, treat people kindly. If you want to be treated with integrity, have integrity. Treat people the way you would like to be treated, regardless of how they're treating you. And then in Galatians 6, 7, it says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. That he will also reap. You want to reap kindness? Be kind. You want to reap gentleness? Be gentle. Whatever you reap, how you live your life, how you treat people, the things that you do, many times that is what you will reap. And that is what happened in the life of Jacob. He reaped what he sowed. Next, this whole encounter that we'll look at in a moment with Jacob wrestling with God was because he was about to meet with his brother Esau. 
He had not seen his brother since he had fled from him. So the last thing he knew is that he's going to kill me. And he was scared. He was going back to the promised land, and he was going to encounter Esau along the way. He was afraid. He was afraid. But we must be willing to face the confrontations that come about in relationship. I don't care whether it's in your family. I don't care if it's in your workplace. I don't care if it's in the church. Sometimes there's going to be conflict in relationship. There's going to be confrontation. And the worst thing you can do is ignore it. Because it will just get worse. Particularly the closer the relationship is. You got to open the lines of communication. You got to be willing to confront it, no matter how afraid you may be. And Jacob was afraid. He had a really right to be afraid because, you know, he thought, well, he's going to kill me. And he, he sent out some people ahead to see Esau. And he said, Did you see him? Yeah, I saw him. He's got 400 men with him. So I'm sure that Jacob's thinking, He's got 400 men with him. I'm good. I'm, I'm, my goose is cooked. I know he's going to kill me. And that's what he was facing. But he was still willing to go and face his brother. Esau. But I want you to look at what he did in light of knowing that he was going to face his brother. He was afraid. You know what Jacob did? It motivated him to pray and remind God of his promises. In verses uh, 11 through 12 in, in Genesis 32, it says this. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with my children. And you said, this is Jacob talking to God, and you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered or multiplied. Jacob was reminding God of his promise. He was saying, God, this is what you've promised me. And it is okay for us to pray and remind God of his promises. Not in an arrogant way. But if you're facing something in your life today, take God's word, look for a promise, and when you pray, pray that promise. Pray that promise. I, I did that recently. Uh, I don't know if Colin and Madison had done it. I, I imagine they had. They've, they've, most of you know they come back from Africa. They've been back about six months, and we've been trying to find them a house. It's hard to find a young couple a house today. Things are crazy expensive. And we've been writing offers and losing it, writing offers and losing it, writing offers and losing it. I'm like, well, we got to get these kids out of my basement. <laughs> and I know they're like, and I'm ready to get out of there too. But a couple Friday nights ago, I was praying. I'm praying about that. We had actually written a prayer card for it. But as I began to pray about it, I said, Lord, you said, you said, seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And all these things. And he was talking to his disciples. They were worried about where we're going, Lord, where we're going to live, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things will be added unto you. And I prayed right there and I said, Lord, they've done that. They've sought you. They've, they've given years of their life to your, to your kingdom. They still want to do that in, in, in some form in ministry. Lord, they need a place to live. They need a place to live. I prayed the promise of God. Two days later, a house came up on the market in Hillsboro. We got it under contract, and I think it's the best house that they found so far. So praise the Lord, here in about three weeks, they'll be getting out of my house, and, um, and everything will be great. <laughs> I, I'm really just kidding. It's really been... So, so Colin and Madison met in college, and she took him off to a foreign country, and uh, we, we never really got to know her. And, and it's been a wonderful to, to, have, to really get to know 
our daughter-in-law, and we have, and we still like her, so that, that worked out well too. So, but <laughs> you got to be willing to just, just if you're afraid this morning, you need healing. There's something going in your life. Find a promise of God and pray it. God challenges us. Madison said today, God said, God said, hey, test me on this. Don't be afraid to pray to God promises of God. Not arrogantly, but God pray to promises of God. And that's what Jacob did. Because relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. But we got to be willing to face them. We got to be willing to face our fears. We got to be willing to say, I'm sorry. Because the last lesson from this struggle with man is that God requires forgiveness. And that's hard. That's hard. Jacob had to be willing to forgive Esau. Esau had to be willing to forgive Jacob. But God takes forgiveness very, very seriously. I want to just give you three, three verses that illustrate that. Mark eleven twenty six, Jesus said, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I need God's forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness ongoing. So he's saying to me, Larry, if you want my forgiveness, and I do, if you need my forgiveness, and I do, you need to be willing to forgive. You need to be willing to forgive. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. That's serious business. What God is saying, hey, if you think you're going to come down in this altar and receive anything from me today, and as you're walking down here and you realize I'm harboring bitterness in my heart against my loved one, against a friend, against a brother or sister in Christ, against my wife, my husband, my children, you need to get that right first. Every time I read this uh, scripture, I, I'm, I remember the trip that I took to Nicaragua with Pastor Don years ago. And we were over on a little uh, island called Tazbapone. Now, over there, the, the electricity and everything is very unstable. And so we were staying in the pastor's house. Now, they don't have running water. They have an outhouse, which was a challenge within itself. But the, the, the shower room where we took a bath was in a room, and it had a shower curtain. And inside that room, they had the, basically a great big pot. And they kept that pot full of water, but you had to go out to the well and draw the water and keep that big pot full You'd walk in, and you'd have a bowl floating in there, and you'd get yourself wet and soap up and rinse yourself, and the water just run through a little drain right out on the ground. There's no EPA or anything over in Tazbapone, Nicaragua. And so I had been waiting for the shower room, and, and, and a, a guy, I was sitting there, and a guy went in, and I thought, okay, well, I think I was before him, but that's okay. And so I'm sitting there again, and, and just as he comes out, a young lady by the name of Isleth, she's, a, she's from there, she's from Nicaragua, and she ministers there. She walks into the shower room real quick. Well, I was like, now, I was next. <laughs> but I didn't say anything, so she comes out. I walk in there, and I look in that big bowl, and it's bone dry. So not only has she cut in line, now I have to go out, put, my, you know, put all my clothes back on, Go out, draw the water out of the well, fill that big old pot up so I can take a shower. Well, I reminded her of that the rest of the trip. And then I was razzing her a little bit, but I think she detected, because there were, there was a little bit of truth in it that I was a little perturbed about that thing. And I'll never forget, it was a couple days before we were coming back to the States. And she said, now, Brother Larry, and that, you know, that kind of Nicaraguan, she said, you're going to get back to the United States 
and you're going to go down to the altar, and you're going to remember you got something against your sister, Isolus, and you're going to have to come all the way back to Nicaragua and make it right. And I said, she's right. I need to let it go. But God takes it serious. God takes it serious. Peter asked, how often do I have to forgive, Lord? In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Jesus wasn't talking 490 times. He said, as often as you need to forgive, you need to forgive. Relationships are difficult, but forgiveness goes a long, long way. But it was in these struggles with man that I think prepared Jacob for his wrestling match with God. And so if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 32, and I'll read 22 through 32. And he arose that night, that's Jacob, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over to the brook, and sent over what he had had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you've asked me about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. A couple things I want to look at from this encounter with Jacob. First of all, Jacob was alone. Jacob was alone. Sometimes, church, you got to get alone with God. If there's things going on in your life, Jacob feared this encounter he was about to have with Esau. He needed to do business with God, so he sent his family and all his possessions out. You need sometimes to get alone with God. There's a lot of distractions in our world today, whether it's your phone, whether it's your television, whether it's your computer, whether it's people around you. That's kind of the whole premise of the Friday night prayer. It forces you to be intentional, to say, I'm coming to a place where my computer's not going to be there, my phone may or may not be there, the people that distract me are not going to be there, I need to spend some time with God. And I think Jacob did. And sometimes you got to get alone. And Jacob had gotten alone. This angel that Jacob wrestled with was God himself. At the end of the encounter, Jacob said, I have seen God face to face. The prophet Hosea described it as an angel, capital A. Oftentimes, that's the angel of the Lord. That's a pre-incarnate Jesus. The prophet Hosea said this, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, referring to Jacob. And in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. 
And there he spoke to us. And here's something interesting about this as I study this. Oftentimes this is preached as if Jacob went up and wrestled with God. And he did. But God was the initiator. God himself was the initiator. Look what it says. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. It didn't say Jacob wrestled with a man. It said a man wrestled with him. See, Jacob had positioned himself for an encounter with God. But God had initiated it. And we'll see why momentarily. Sometimes you got to position yourself. you got to get along. you got to get in a place. God, I know there's, there's something that needs to happen in my life. I need to get along. I need to position myself for an encounter with you. The 20 years of deceit and struggle with man had made Jacob a broken man. He was broken. He was scared to death of his brother Esau. No doubt he was thinking back through his life. How he had lied to his father. How he had been deceived by Laban. Life, life, life had been hard on him. And sometimes life is hard on us, is it not? And sometimes it can bring us to a broken place where we need to experience God. And that's what had happened in Jacob's life. And Jacob goes from struggling, wrestling, to clinging. He was clinging to God. God had touched that socket. God had touched his socket. He had crippled him in some ways. And now he's just holding on. What are you clinging to today? There's a song that says, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it one day. From Are you clinging to your money? Are you clinging to your health? What are you clinging to looking to make a change of what's happening in your life? Jacob clinged to God. He said, I'm going to hold on to you till you bless. Even the angel said, let me go. But he wouldn't turn him loose. Some think that this was an actual physical encounter. It's one of the more mysterious encounters of the Bible. We're not sure something was just spiritual. But it happened all night long, and Jacob clung. I think what was happening, Jacob was going from clinging to his ways to clinging to God. And sometimes that's what he has to do. We have to let go of our ways. We have to let go of our wants. We have to let go of our desires, things we're clinging on to. And start clinging to him. And then Jacob began confessing. Because he asked Jacob, what's your name? Certainly God knew his name. He knew his name. He wanted him to say it. What's your name? Because Jacob meant deceiver. He wanted Jacob to own up to his life. He wanted Jacob to own up to his failures. See, until we come and get serious with God, he'll let us play our games. He said, my name is Jacob. He wanted to say, I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. I'm the one who's lied to my dad. I'm the one who's uh, lied to my brother. I know I'm about to meet him. I know the the reason that I'm afraid of my brother is because of my own doings. Confession is so important. Sometimes we got to get before God and confess the things that we won't let go of. He asked God, he said, my name is Jacob. And in that encounter, Jacob became a blessed man. Because God looked at him and he said, what's your name? He said, my name is Jacob. He said, no longer will your name be Jacob, but it'll be Israel. No longer is your name going to be a deceiver, but your name is going to be the prince with God. Not only, it's just, names were important then. 
And God changed people's names a lot in the Old Testament. But he wasn't changing their names. He was changing their who they were. He was changing the way he saw them. He was changing the way they saw themselves. And we have to sometimes let go of what we used to be and see who we are now. When you come to Christ, you're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And Satan will stay in your ear and say, you used to do this and you used to do that. People knew you as this type of person and that type of person. But God steps in and says, I've changed all that. And that's what he did to Jacob. He changed him. And he'll change us. God often has to break us before he can bless us. And I don't like to even say that because it scares me to death. But sometimes God does have to break us before he can bless us. Isn't that the story of the prodigal? Isn't that what happened to him? Didn't he go to his father and say, I don't want to be in part of your house anymore. I don't want to live under your rules anymore. Give me my inheritance and let me go live life my way. And he did. And he found himself in a pig pen with nothing. But that father every day was looking for him. That prodigal was a broken man. When he came back, that father was ready to receive him. Sometimes God has to break us before he can bless us. And Jacob was a changed man, physically and spiritually. Physically, he walked with a limp. Every day after that, he would walk with a limp. He, had a physical, he was physically weak, but he was spiritually strong. And the limp reminded him of who he is now. No doubt every time he'd walk and he would feel that limp, he would remember that encounter with God. He would remember how he'd struggle with men. He'd remember how I did a lot of things wrong, but he remembered how I fought and wrestled and struggled with God. But here's the thing. Jacob went into that encounter and God did business with Jacob. Jacob thought he might going to be doing business with God, but God did business with Jacob. Jacob wanted God to do something for him. He wanted him to keep him safe from his brother Esau. But God wanted to do something in him. And oftentimes we want God to do something for us, but he wants to do something in us. I know there's many of you here today struggling physically. And we're going to join with you and continue to pray for healing for you. Maybe there's struggles in your family. Maybe there's financial struggles. And see God, he's a good God and he answers our prayers. But never forget that in your struggle, you may be asking God to do something for you, but he may be trying to do something in you. And he will do something in you in that. And that's hard. But on the other side of it, oftentimes we'll see what God was really trying to do in us. I'm going to ask Brother Matt and the team to come to the front. As they're coming up, I have something I want to read. It says, at Bethel, Jacob saw a ladder. Now remember at Bethel is where he had the encounter with God. Jacob had two incredible encounters with God. One at Jacob and one at Jabbok. At Bethel, Jacob saw a ladder. At Jabbok, he saw the Lord. At Bethel, Jacob became a believing man. At Jabbok, he became a broken man. At Bethel, Jacob became a son of God. At Jabbok, he became a saint of God. At Bethel, he died to his sins. At Jabbok, he died to himself. He left Bethel with a spring in his step. He left Jabbok. 
with a lasting limp, but with a forever changed heart. Now, all men need a Bethel experience. Every person in this room needs to be able to recall a time when you met God personally. And if you're here this morning and you've never met God personally, you've never had a Bethel experience, you've never come before Him and repented of your sin, this morning, whether it was during the worship or whether it's during the Word or whether it's during this altar time, if you feel that tug in your heart, I'm not going to convince you of anything. But what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to move. And you begin to feel something deep down in your spirit that says, something's not right in my life with my God. And I need to get it right. It's Him pulling at you. And sometimes we'll sit there and white-knuckle it, and he'll let you white-knuckle it. Why? We all need a Bethel experience. If you've never had your Bethel experience, you can have it this morning right here. Every person in this room who's saved of, of the Lord will tell you about their Bethel experience and how they're glad they surrendered unto the Lord. Billy Graham said, I've never met a person who decided to follow Christ that regretted it. You'll talk to people with a lot of regrets. That ain't going to be one of them. If you're here this morning, you've never had your Bethel experience, you can. However, and this is true of us in the American church today, many never go beyond that experience. They get saved, and that's as far as they go. They never seem to be able to produce anything for the glory of the Lord. While we must have a Bethel experience, if we expect to get to heaven, we also need a Jabbok experience if we ever hope to be useful to the Lord. I'm going to ask everyone here to stand. I want to ask you this morning, have you had a Bethel experience? Do you know Christ as your Savior? You put your trust in Him? Have you felt Him working in your heart today? This altar's open. The altar's open. You can come now. Someone will meet you here. One of our altar workers will meet you here and pray with you. But have you had a Jabbok experience? See, for those of us who are following the Lord, the Jabbok experiences can be ongoing experiences. They can be things that happen in our life where we have to get serious with God. They can be things in our life where, God, I need something for you, and God says, I want to do something in you. If he's working on you this morning. You know that God is trying to do something in your life. Come down. Spend some time before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to, I need to get serious for a minute. I need to do a little bit of confessing. I need to own up with what I, who I really am and what I really am. Because He knows. He knows the hairs on our head. He even knew the hairs on your head, Timmy. But he knows everything. And he says, come get serious with me. It might be painful. You won't walk with a physical limp, but you might walk with a spiritual limp for a while. But you'll never regret it. God will change you. God will change you. As they sing this morning, I want to just tell you that the altar is open. I'm going to ask them to go ahead and start into the song. The altar is open. You're all free to come down and worship and meet the Lord here.